Hello. Welcome to a new episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I'm so grateful that you are tuning into this. And I get to introduce you to my really good friend, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, this week. Now, you guys might know this guy as Long Distance Love Bombs on Instagram. He's a poet. He's a spoken word poet. I had the absolute honor and privilege of him being, uh, he did a spoken word poem for my birthday. He did it live and it was just so amazing. So from his heart, and that is exactly how he lives his life. So I'm so excited to share his authenticity with you, to share his heart with you, his brilliance. We dive in on so many different subjects and I could literally talk to this guy all day. Um, But before we get started, if you could do me a huge favor after you're done listening to this, wherever you do that, if you could leave me a five-star review and a written review, the written reviews really help me out. Um, And so without further ado, let's hear from and introduce you to Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. Obviously very excited to have my good friend Jeremy Goldberg on my podcast this week. I love the idea of introing you, man, because I'm like, oh, he's a marine biologist, uh, are you, like a PhD in marine biology, right? That's correct. Kind of, yeah. I have a PhD. It's more in uh, social science and human behavior, but my background is in coral reef ecology and tropical resource <laughs> management. So I basically took your two pieces of education and they had a child. And now that's what I said. What I, mean, I said. I've had a lot of education. Like, so <laughs> technically I've, I've been many things as we all have. But yeah, marine biology is the most simplistic way. I, I swam around. I counted things. I took pictures of things. I type reports. I managed money. I managed people and projects. Well, Jeremy and I have had a many sit down. I've been on Jeremy's podcast, which was super fun. And we jammed on the subject of Me Too and men today and what that looks like or doesn't look like. And that was a, you know, that was a pretty, I have to say, we went into that pretty courageous, but also terrified as shit. (laughs) I'm proud of us. I am too, because man, that was like. That was when Me Too was really peaking. And there was a lot of emotion and there was a lot of feeling, feeling in the, uh, in the media amongst people. And we decided, Hey, let's be a little bit vulnerable and do a scary thing and talk about how men play a role in that. And we did it. And it was awesome. And how terrified we actually are. (laughs) And we're going to do another one right now. Um, But how terrified we actually are of speaking up often for that, not because we don't want to speak up. I don't want to speak for you or all men, but I think it was like, since not many men are speaking up, I guess we'll have to do that. But it's like, I don't think it was that we're terrified to speak up because we don't want to, or we don't want to support. It's that I think on, on a deeper soul cellular level, not soul level, but cellular level, every man is terrified that they did something offensive in their past that they're not sure if someone else coded it as that, even though they never did anything that they can consciously remember. Yeah, I agree with that. There, there seems to me to be this like inner shame or mm-hmm. I think you described it as fear of like being found out or of, of maybe I'm not actually such a good guy because I've done a few bad things unintentionally or otherwise. It's hard to talk about really difficult, big issues and promote goodness or kindness or openness when we all have our skeletons in our closet, right? 
Yeah. And, and I guess instead, I think there's a big fear of saying the wrong thing. You know, we talked about that on, on your episode, you know, that we're going to say the wrong thing. And some of us have, we have to take that risk of saying the wrong thing so that we can learn how to say the right thing, which is God, who even knows what the right thing is. I think that applies to everything too. It's like, not just about the me too movement, but it's each of us individually have something in our life that we want to say to somebody else, whether that's yeah. a boss, a coworker, a friend, a lover, a mom. And it's like, it's in us and we know we need to talk about it, but it's awkward because we've never done it before. And we're fearful of how they're going to respond. And we don't want to say the wrong thing, but we also want to speak our truth. And so we kind of like do this dance, right? Of like, Oh, am I going to step in? Am I going to not? Am I, Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. they, oh, they stepped on my toe. Oh gosh. It's so uncomfortable. But hopefully the end result is that you're, you foster some kind of a connection with that person, right? When I, I think it's that idea that as men or, or whatever in between, if we haven't spoken up in this context, I think it's interesting that you can share a connection with someone else, whether it be intimate or emotional. And both of you can have completely different experiences of the connection. Like, I can code or feel chemistry with someone as a friend and they can code me as the one, right? Or vice versa. Right. And, and that's really interesting because you think about in the context of Me Too and men speaking up, it's like a man can have a sexual experience or a woman can have a sexual experience with a man or any combination of those things. And one person can be thinking and feeling that it's going perfectly and the other can feel compromised. And I think that's the fear is that years later, you know, because I've certainly had sexual experiences myself personally, where I was in my head the whole time and I felt like I shouldn't be there. And, you know, I think on some level, that's the fear that a lot of people have, but I think more so men, that that experience could come out and they just never knew. And, you know, and that's that gray spot. Uh, spot. Yeah. And I think that's a scary where, spot. It can be. Yeah. And I think that's partially what we're trying to clarify um, moving forward is is sort of like what are the what are the operating rules here for interaction with the opposite sex whether that's in the workplace whether that's in the bedroom it's like how how are we going to communicate openly and transparently how are we going to make sure that we're both feeling good and healthy and happy about this exchange etc and i think the me too is kind of like this really bright spotlight bursting on the scene, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's illuminating all of these sort of things that we haven't really talked about openly and honestly, and all, all of the shame that's coming up and the, from, from both sides, from all sides. And I think one of the beautiful things that's coming out of that is just the conversation itself is a really powerful thing that's, I think, leading to a lot of healing and a lot of discussion so that moving forward, we can all be in a better place to, to live. Well, yeah. And of course, as you know, I think what's fascinating about us as men is that a lot of this speaking up, unless it's about fucking taxes or something or oil, we don't really speak up, you know, and even in the context of our own mental health and the emergency we're sort of facing with our own emotional, you know, you look at generations before us. I mean, generations today, generations born today of men or, or whoever might identify as that are, are, are still suffering at communicating their feelings. But 
you look at men in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and whatever, they're completely emotionally, they've been emotionally castrated from the day they were born. Mm-hmm. And we then are angry that they don't have emotional fluency. And I think that that, you know, it's, it's so hard. To, like, I think of my grandpa trying to express himself. My Lord, he didn't express anything to me. You right. know, and, and I think of like, today we're like men speak show up be fluent and then they're like uh yep it's uh, like just love yourself man just love yourself you're like uh but nobody taught me that like just be transparent how do you feel like i don't know i literally haven't felt decades right i've either been angry or moderately happy my whole life you know like not me personally but Yeah. And I think that that, you know, even having this conversation, I'm a little scared of the feedback I'll get about not including a woman in this conversation or not. But I think part of what makes it great is that that we can have this conversation from our perspective. If a woman's in the room and we're having this conversation, it'll immediately change our conversation generally in some way. Yeah, we we bite our tongue a little bit or we I, I often find myself just taking that extra very tiny pause to check in of like is this really okay to say? Right? And I, <laughs> yeah. That to me is like a sign of my own maturity. Of, <laughs> you know, recognizing that in the past, there have been certain instances in which my sarcasm or my attempt at wit or humor has not been entirely uh, emotionally competent, let's say. <laughs> yeah, I, I know anyone who knows me listening will fully agree with that for me partially why we're friends i think (laughs) yeah you know i see myself in you like oh yeah we we can share these these different experiences when i think that's also one of the things that men use and and learn to skillfully use as a coping mechanism and a way of avoiding vulnerability you know there's that development of wit and humor although can be incredibly powerful for repairing conflict in a relationship is also a really good way for everyone to laugh and not pay attention on a deeper level to the discomfort. I forget what book it was. You'd probably know, maybe emotional intelligence, one of them, but they described sarcasm as aggression. Mm. The first time that I'd really considered it in that way, that sometimes sarcasm, while appearing to be light and fluffy and humorful, is that a word, humorful? It is now. Humor, humor, humoristic can actually be a form of aggression as a way of like showing your authority over somebody as a way to exert power and influence if you're using it as a, as a weaponized. So like this idea of weaponized sarcasm as aggression, I think really opened my eyes at least in terms of how different people communicate in different ways and how something that I would just throw off as like a comment, a lighthearted comment, uh, if I actually peel the layers back, can be a way of me to avoid shame or to try to uh, obtain, what's the word, approval, something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. or worthiness or something like this. Do you find that, like within the context of men, do you find that that what is maybe like uh, limiting us or not allowing us the opportunity to really show up today emotionally is that shame, is that that fear of, you know, the thing that we said before that we might've made a decision that we didn't know was impacting someone. And now if we speak up, we're going to be called a fraud, you know, or like even the shame of not being able to say the right thing. Right. I'm convinced that most 
stories that limit us in some way go back to fear or or unworthiness or shame, right? So, so something internal is preventing us from expressing what we really feel or think. And I think these types of conversations are really powerful for men on a sweeping scale because we're starting to have these open and honest discussions about what's going on inside. And just, just this conversation now of like, oh, you know, what do you fear as we move forward as a society or as a culture? How are you dealing with your past issues? How are you stepping into who you are now? How are you forgiving yourself for what you have done and learning from it and using it as a lesson moving forward? These are all really important things that we're now having dialogue about. And I think that's really, really powerful because for so long, the the sort of standard cultural way that men operated, I think, in many places was don't talk about it, don't cry, man up, it'll be fine, get back up, you know, grind, hustle, do the thing. <laughs> yeah. And like whatever be a man actually fucking means is outdated social norm. So I think it's good. I think I think it's a perpetual evolution of what it means to be a man today. I think it's an evolution at the same time of how how women are evolving and expanding in their own way and how we're doing this together. And I just see it as a really positive trajectory. And while sometimes the results of the day-to-day or week-to-week might not be ideal or might feel like we're stepping backward, if we look at big picture long-term, we're doing really, really well. And we're evolving in a really, really positive way. Like it wasn't that long ago where women couldn't even vote in America, right? Or that... Crazy. Or that all kinds of social things. Well, and in Canada, how we affected indigenous people for so, hmm. up until just very recently, yeah. you know, putting them in schools. And it, I mean, we've just had, it's not so long ago that we were bigger assholes, much bigger assholes. Yeah. Like we're way less assholes now. Even yeah. though maybe some Even though we still have lots of assholiness, you know, I mean, we yeah. might have a bad day where we're a total asshole as a world or as a society. But like, yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's that balance of like, you and I live, you know, in, in, in pretty safe places in, and we're both straight white males, you know, like, we are the epitome of privilege. So, you know, for someone listening, who's like, I deal with assholes every day. Yeah, you know, like, I get that. There's a, there's also an, I mean, I live in Canada. Everyone apologizes all the time for everything, even if they don't do something wrong. So, you know, it's pretty hard to find upset people around here. Yeah. But I think the the interesting thing about the male, um, and I'm sorry for being so gender specific to anyone listening, however anyone identifies, but we're do, we do need to, for the sake of this conversation, um, step into that language a little bit. So what I think is interesting is in a lot of ways, like even with the Me Too and the Women's March and those things, it's still like women taking the the reins in leading this transformation, which is so amazing. You know, I think any person on a micro level can understand what happens when you make a woman angry, the things change. You know, my mom, when she got mad, the, the house shifted. And this is just such a global level now. But what I'm thinking, too, is that, like, as men, we're like, women, help us, like, change us. Let's, but we have to, as a collective, and there's men doing great work. You know, I don't want to say that there isn't. There's men doing unbelievable work in all the areas. But it's like, as a collective, like, 
I just think like when I think about me as a younger man, what was the most powerful part of the change? It was like actually finally taking responsibility for my own emotions. What was it for you? For, for me, the most powerful thing as a young man? Yeah, like that shifted you because as a collective, we're not, we're not shifting as fast as I think we need to to save us from mental health issues. Oh, absolutely. I, I think for me, some of the most powerful realizations that I've had relate to personal responsibility. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is that I'm ultimately the biggest problem in my life. And that my experience of reality is entirely determined by the lenses that I use to view the world and the people around me. That the people that I have in my life are a choice that I've made in some way, consciously or subconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's this idea of recognizing my own inherent power to influence my life. And I find that when I take personal responsibility for all of it, uh, my life is better. My life is easier. I, I have more fun. Uh, my problems get solved more quickly. I heal quicker, um, et cetera. And I think though, just touching on what you said about the, the sweeping changes of, of men and in society, I think it's often easy for us to focus on the negatives that are coming, right? Because mm -hmm. we perceive this as, as, as a big change. Like things are shifting, things are changing. The, um, the relationship between men and women is shifting. And for us, when things change in general, it's very easy to focus on the uncertainty and the unknown and to go to a place of fear and negativity, right? Of, oh, what does this mean? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be hard. It's not going to work out. Da, 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 da. But there's also this possibility that things might transform in a really powerful and beautiful way. So for example, mm -hmm. we might have much better relationships with everybody. Our partners might be much happier. Our marriages might be better because women are getting paid more. Uh, our children might be happier and healthier and more fulfilled because our society is more just and more honest and more open and more kind. So I think these, these things are also part of this whole giant shakeup that you referenced. And I think it's important to focus on some of the positive outcomes and not just the fear and the fighting and the battles that are a part of that revolution, so to speak. Yeah. I, I mean, I, t I totally agree with all of that. I think the, I think the, like men are being asked to make their, their old upper limit, their new floor. And what I mean by that is like, we're being called to learn emotional fluency. And if we don't, well, we can't be extinct, but if women learn how to have babies without us and we don't learn how to talk about our feelings, we might be gone, right. you know? Like just stop sleeping with assholes. <laughs> and that would be the simple solution. Stop rewarding people with no emotional fluency. But the hard part is, is that most of us don't have emotional fluency. Right. Um, I certainly didn't when I was younger, so I would be relationship list too, you know? But I think that's the part is like, we're being asked to level up and learn to communicate very quickly and go against socialization. Because even when you look at the research on how someone, any person treats a male baby versus a female baby, it already starts there. And so it's like, I mean, fuck, we take little boys and we cut off the tip of their dick in the first 10 days of their life. And mm -hmm. then we expect them to not experience any form of trauma. Like, welcome to the world 
your foreskin is no need, not needed, even though we have no scientific backing for that. And I'm thinking like that on a subconscious level just sends the message that it's okay to do that to boys. I mean, <sighs> I wasn't expecting to talk about circumcision. I know, but I'm saying like on a micro level that feels like the same, you know, it's like we, we traumatize and then we expect them to be able to talk when in the first 10 days they experience a complete trauma and detachment from their mother. Well, it just birth in itself is a pretty traumatic event. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like hey, out of this comfortable living room into. <laughs> you're just like Netflix and chilling for nine months. And then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> bright light and people screaming and there's the activity and noises. And you're like, it's suddenly, Hey, welcome to earth. Have, have a good time. Good. <laughs> yeah, good luck with the mission we sent you on. Good luck with it. And then, you know, enjoy your family system, which is going to inevitably scar you in some way. And you're going to have to heal from that. And then when you get over that, uh, we'll put you in school for at least 15 to 25 years. <laughs> you won't use most of that either. Most of that. Turn you into this cog for this giant machine. We're not going to teach you actually how to be a, a living, breathing, thriving adult. <laughs> memorize a bunch of shit that you can just use and you can't use a calculator you have to learn how to do stuff a calculator does what was that as if you can't just literally say like alexa what's 100 divided by 14 (laughs) right it's so outdated man we i mean i'm already getting fired up this is a soapbox topic for me of like the modern education system and i feel like because i have a phd i have some amount of credibility that i can rant against that system (laughs) (laughs) well you certainly spent a lot of money in it you know what i mean like like i've been there like we could talk about how you don't learn how to have emotionally intelligent conversations in school you don't learn about emotions in school you don't learn about relationships in school you don't don't learn learn about food you don't learn about money i mean the things that will cause your divorces and your well-being to fly out the door. You're not taught. The thing that will make your body an environment where you feel good within it so that you can then operate in healthy relationships, not taught. But you know what you are taught? You're taught how to calculate the angle of a triangle. And you're taught to memorize what happened in 1642 in ancient Greece or whatever. Yeah. It's so surreal to me. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's the thing is like, we want people to be able to do these things, but there's in, I mean, the beauty of the internet is you can go learn whatever you want to learn. And I have to say for anyone who's like listening and you're struggling, just Google any of the subjects you want to learn about. And there is probably a $50 course and about a thousand, you know, uh, YouTube videos on the subject that you can educate yourself to become an expert in anything for free. Yes. And I think one continuing this rant, I think one of the major um, problems about modern education is we are not taught how to learn in school. And mm-hmm. we're certainly not taught how to love learning in school. And so just this process of being like, oh, I need to learn something is actually a big step that many people don't take or don't recognize or don't think is fun. Like the amount of people in the general population that don't read books is staggering. Like the amount of people that don't listen to podcasts is staggering. Mm, that's true. So I think this idea is, is a really beautiful starting point of like, hey, everything that you know in life has been learned. Everything that you believe 
has been downloaded into you. You've learned how you believe everything. And because you have learned it all, you can unlearn it all. You can radically change the entire inner architecture of your mind and you can live a different life. But it starts with getting curious about what you think and what you know, and then moving forward from there. Yeah, being able to move through that space. I, I, that is a good point that when we are put into places of learning and we're not given the choice of what to learn, then we don't often then equate that we can choose the things we want to learn. You know, like I did my undergrad in finance. I mean, the last thing I ever wanted to do was hang out and do Jager bombs and hang out with freaking investment bankers. But I did it because it was the hardest part of my, no offense if you're an investment banker, I'm sure it's fun. It's or if you're a Jager bomb listening. <laughs> or you love Jager bombs. Yeah. Um, but I think what's, it wasn't, I remember taking psycho child development in college and loving it. It was like my favorite course that I'd ever taken and it was an option. And I remember thinking like, oh, it was my fifth, my fifth year. I did five. Uh, I took five years to do four years of study because I studied beer as well a lot in college. I did too. I had a minor, I think. In- <laughs> I had a minor in beverages. Yeah. And I didn't, I was like, maybe I should switch. And I was like, no, nah, that's foolish. You'll never make money doing that. And, you know, it was like all the stories I was taught in my head. And God, at one point, you have to decide to step out of the story you were taught or you get kicked out of it. Those are the two options or you get sick and stay in it. That was my experience. And I know, I mean, you're a PhD who's now a spoken word poet, creative coach. Like, that's radical. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like I've lived uh, various different lives for sure. So I I was science, man. I was analytical, rational, logical science dude for over a decade. You know, I worked internationally. I worked for governments. I helped with nonprofits. I, I published papers. I wrote a thesis. It was like, that's the world. And then Towards the end of my PhD, I started getting these little whispers. I call them like heart whispers. It was like, like write a poem, like make a spoken word video, like start an Instagram. Like, dude, I have this thing called long distance love bombs, which is my brand, and it just started as this little side hobby in my science life. And so slowly, that artistic expression grew and grew and grew, and now. I'm doing that full time. I like make art and I'm definitely more of an artist than a scientist, a hundred percent. And that's so surreal, but I think it just goes back to the power of, of um, determination and change and the decision to be anything that you want to be in life. Mm, And to allow that to shift. And allow it to shift and embrace the suck, to embrace the change, to embrace the uncertainty and the unknown and, and, to foster that trust in your own abilities and your own path. Like, I don't know why I'm supposed to do this. I just know <laughs> that I'm, I'm going I'm supposed to, to write a poem. I just wrote a thesis. Yeah. Or even big stuff. Like, I don't know why I'm supposed to turn down this job, but it's not a 10 out of 10. I don't know why I'm supposed to move to Vancouver, but I feel that I'm just supposed to be there for some reason. And so it's just, it's like when you're walking through a, Imagine you're like walking on a trail at nighttime and you have a flashlight, right? Mm-hmm. You can only see as far as the flashlight shows you, right? So you can't see the whole trail and you don't know that you'll ever make it actually up the mountain. But the sign at the beginning said like, yeah, you'll get there. And so you can only see in life 
what's just ahead. And you can't predict what will happen after that. And that's kind of how I have been living my life over the last several years of like, I don't know what the three-year plan is. And I certainly don't know even what the one-year plan is, but the end of my flashlight is like three months, maybe six. And I'm like, mm. that, that path I can see and that feels good. And so long as I stay on that path, then I'm going to be okay. Yeah, that was certainly my experience of moving from being a pharmaceutical rep. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know, I always had the passion about, right? I had heart whispers for years of yeah. like, and now you're missing love. Like, <laughs> but you know what I mean though? It's like, I had the same little voice that I was like, no, you can't do that. I can't write about relations. Who's going to listen to me? Da, 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 da. About seven years. There's a million people doing it. They're, they're, yeah. at the but then to make like what you said, when I finally made the leap or wrote the first thing or, you know, all of it's new and everything's scary the first time. Yeah. But it was like, now I know that when I'm doing something that's terrifying, but I know I need to go towards it, whether that be love, whether that be any choice in life, mm-hmm. there's somehow this deeper knowing that people used to say to me, just do it, just trust. And I was like, yeah, fuck you. You don't have to quit a job that right? you know, is pretty secure. <laughs> but man, I have to say, I totally get it now. Yeah. And that becomes the game, right? Of like, when you accept that as the major rule of the game of life, it's like, holy shit, okay, I'm going to take this chance. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to write that email. I'm going to publish this article. I'm going to launch this business. And it's like, oh, it's so scary and terrifying. But at the same time, it's exciting and fulfilling and an adventure. And it's aligning your soul. You're saying yes to something that is being called for, which connects you back to you. Every time you say yes to that voice, you're getting connected back to you. Yeah. And you're proving to yourself time and time again that you are the type of person who loves themselves so much that you're willing to risk to invest in yourself. You're willing to risk to the, for the chance to create a better life. You're willing to risk to feel just that much more alive, to make that much more of a positive impact in the world. And so the more that you do this, the more you iterate and advance and evolve and you expand and you become this new version of yourself and you just keep up leveling. Yeah. It doesn't get any, I, I don't know about you, but I, I find it doesn't get any easier. Like, no, no, of course, because pro- human problems are diverse. They'll yeah. show up in any way. It's, I used to think that it was like you peel this layer off an onion and then the onion just stays the fucking same size Yeah, or gets bigger. But you know, uh, Sherry Salata, I remember saying that to her and she said, I, well, I don't think it's an onion. I think it's expansion. Every time that you do something hard, you expand and you become bigger. Yeah. And I was like, that's so true that like every time you peel away a problem or a challenge or have a conversation go deeper than it's ever gone or handle conflict successfully for the first time with your friend or your partner, mm-hmm. you're in a new place you've never been. That's why I think often in the middle of a potential deeper intimacy and vulnerability, we sabotage mm. that. Because we're like, uh, I know what fighting's like. It's way easier than being loved. Yeah. And it's scary to step into that place for the first time. It's the unknown, uncertain cave. You're like, I hope this goes well. I hope there's not a bear in there that will eat me. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> it's, 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 it's difficult in our bodies to feel these new experiences and to trust that it's all going to be okay no matter what. 
in that they're the same thing, like stepping towards your dream or your passion or a place you want to move or ending a relationship or starting one or ending a conversation or starting one. It all involves the exact same courage, which involves stepping towards something that you have a feeling about, but you're, you don't know the outcome. Yeah. You don't know where it's going to take you. No. And that's so exciting from one lens. From the, the other greatest. lens, it's terrifying, right? So this idea that fear and excitement are the same thing. And even in our bodies, they are. Our heart races, our palms sweat, our, our focus narrows. We feel like we're going to throw up. It's like, it's excitement. Yeah, biologically, it's a tiger, but expansively, yeah. it, it's uh, rewiring your brain. It's changing what you believe is possible. It's Yeah. You it's, know, I, I heard, um, sorry, what's that? I said, it's just aliveness. I even use that before I public speak is, is reframing that in a powerful way is just asking myself, isn't this exciting? You're kind of mm -hmm. like public speaking is a common one because people fear it and hate it and don't love doing it. And it's that moment where you're like, your heart's racing. And so one direction that you could interpret that through is, oh my God, I'm terrified. I'm, an, I'm the worst. I shouldn't feel this scared. And then the other option is, isn't this exciting? Like, what an adventure this is. Like, oh, I feel so alive right now. Mm. So I, I just love that as like an invitation to go to that place of excitement. Well, I remember when I was doing my TED talk, my TEDx talk, the guy who was speaking right, I, I forget, at some point before me, he said, I can't wait for this to be done. And I, I was like, what? And I was like, I can't wait for this to be, like yeah. to actually be in the moment that I've been working so damn hard for. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, what a different perspective, just like you were saying, you know, that difference of like, I'm excited to speak rather than I'm anxious about speaking. Just yeah. that reframe is such a different thing about, I mean, I think about the hardest choices I've ever had to make. And I remember listening to Carolyn Mace, um, speak, and she said that in life, everyone will have to do one great betrayal and someone will have a great betrayal upon you. And in those betrayals is where we prove that we are actually, um, that we want what we want. That we're actually willing to do the thing to get on our path. Are, can you betray yourself? Does that count? Um, well, I suppose the act of betrayal is the rejoining of self. Um, but it depends on how you define it. So like, so for example, I'm thinking if you made choices in your, in your past or even in your present that you know don't align, align with who you truly are, what your values or integrity are, you kind of betray yourself if you turn down an opportunity, if you... Oh, 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 so the act of... I see what you're saying. So the act of betrayal would be that you would betray whoever you made those choices for mm. to rejoin yourself or you do, yeah, as you said, betray yourself. Right. Which I think that is the space when you're not aligned with who you are. It's like, that's the space where we start to get sick when we know that we are actually should be living a different way. Yeah, I think, uh, so where I just went with that was, was these small betrayals moment to moment or day to day, how we can betray ourselves or the people that we care about when we don't choose to act with bravery and compassion and integrity, right? And that those sort of small betrayals pile up internally because we know that we're not behaving in the way that we totally should we know that we can feel that shit well yeah and i was i was just thinking like that's exactly the 
the little voice, the heart whispers are the same sound that's like, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be choosing this. This isn't good for you. I used to have that voice all the time. And I'd be like, I'll just have a beer. And they're like, no, but that's the thing. Don't have that. And I'm like, Shh, you know, <laughs> drinking the beer. Um, and those are just the reasons we numb, I think, is to quiet the voice of the knowing that we're betraying ourselves. Yeah. And to escape the inner truth that we know that we have to take a big, bold, brave step forward and do something hard or do something scary. Like it's the, it's the classic hero's journey. Jo Joseph Campbell is like, we hear the call, right? Yeah. The call from the universe saying, quit the job, launch the biz, do the thing. Don't be a pharmaceutical rep anymore. Science is, is over. And we hear it and we're like, mm, nah, I'm going to have a beer. And, yeah. like, and the voice doesn't go away, man. The voice just continues to pester you like your nagging aunt Carol. Like, and then eventually, either we 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 answer that call is how the hero's journey begin or progresses, or we just listen to it forever and we get anxious and we get diseased. We get depressed. We get yeah, and, yeah. and you know, and I think that's the part when we don't. You know, of course, there's life experiences that happen that make us sad and anxious and depressed that are separate from not listening to our call that make us sad, cool. anxious, and depressed. Um, but it's also moving through life experiences and those emotions that allows us to let them go eventually. Yeah. So that's a really important clarification. And I guess even to add to that, what, what I'm mentioning when I say like the heart whispers or the, the hero's call or whatever is, is, is like the things that intuitively deep down in your gut, you know, mm. true, and you don't want to admit that they're true. But like, you know, that your, your heart knows that it's true and your brain and your ego are like, no, that's definitely not true. And it's because you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're not ready. That's a terrible idea. Other people are better. What will people think? All the, all the noise. When I think too of like, okay, well, what is my greatest betrayal? My greatest betrayal was for sure to end my engagement. That was like me betraying the system and society and mm -hmm. someone I cared about yeah. and choosing myself. Badass. I'm trying to think of what's your greatest betrayal. I was just thinking that. And, and in my head just now, I was like, oh, fuck. I bet Groves is going to ask me what my biggest betrayal was. Yep. Yeah, I am. Um, the biggest betrayal of, um, that I've done to other people or... Yeah, like to society, to other people. I, I mean, I think one would be, one, a big one for me would be like, I guess years ago when I chose to move overseas and follow my own path, I felt like internally I betrayed a lot of like my family's expectations. And I, I, I was like the black sheep of the family. Like everybody else lived within a few miles of each other. And my family has had a family business in LA since 1953. It's a tire shop, Hank's Tire, that was founded by my grandpa. And mm. so it's very much this blue collar, we stay here kind of world. And, and our family is very important and very big. Like I've got a bunch of siblings. And, and then I went kind of overseas for a while and, and have continued to live this really outlandish, nomadic, vagabond lifestyle where I'm I lived in the South Pacific for a couple of years. I lived in Thailand. I backpacked in Africa and I'm just having all these ventures. And so for me, in some ways, I felt like I was betraying my family. And there was a lot of guilt for that of 
prioritizing my own life rather than being there for the birthday parties or the celebrations or some of the holidays. And that was, that one felt like a big one. And then um, I think in the past too, there's, there's other betrayals that come to mind around how I showed up for my ex-girlfriend specifically or close friends where I could have looking back with what I know now, of course, which is always dangerous, but um, where I felt like I, I didn't, I didn't show up in a, in the way that I know I could have at the time. Um, yeah, I've certainly had, yeah. you know, where I've written ex-girlfriends years later and being like, I just mm-hmm. want you to know, like I actually could have been a lot better. Yeah. I didn't honor you the right way I should have. That's a, a vulnerable thing to write, you know, and to experience and to do. I think, you know, when we look in hindsight and we like put on those lenses of awareness of what we could do better today, I often think that what happens with that, that sort of like gets in the way because of my own experience is you learn something about how you could show up better. And then all of a sudden you realize all the times you didn't Mm. and then you get shame. And so we often don't actually implement the change because implementing the change would be taking responsibility for all the times we didn't. Mm. And that has been one of those things where I see like in my own experience, that shame I think that's turning towards healthy shame, you know, to be able to look at it and own the pain of a better choice being available to you now. I love that, man. Like that subconscious alchemy or sorcery or whatever of, of looking back and dealing with who you used to be and loving that version of yourself. And I think Brene Brown has this line of, of, you know, everybody's doing the best they can and really giving each other permission to make mistakes or to just show up however they're showing up and recognize that everybody's doing the best that they can. And I think that can be really difficult for me, at least I imagine for most people to look back and be like, Oh gosh, I did that thing. Or that's who I used to be. And wow. Like I've straight up told girls that I'm dating, like there is no way that you would talk to me in college. Like, <laughs> like Oh no. my God, I wouldn't have create the love in college. I'd have create I, dance floor make out. Yeah, people that follow us on Instagram, you're like, oh, in, like 10 years ago, you would not even look at me. Like I was <laughs> drunken punk. Like I was. And so I think that's really powerful, too, is to recognize that we're all on, the, on a transitional path and that we're all evolving and we're becoming new and better versions of ourselves all the time. And that this is still ongoing. Like I still have. Yeah. Shame that I'm dealing with about all kinds of stuff. And I have all kinds of fears about expanding and growing myself and my business. And that's okay. And just going back to what we touched on earlier is that's also part of being alive. That's exciting, you know? Yeah, I fully agree that this idea of sort of falling in love with not only the unknown, as we spoke about before, but that you are this ever-changing and expanding human being, that you're going to make mistakes. You know, like, that's the point of life is to actually fuck up and learn from it and move forward and grow. And, I, you know, I, I joke often that it's like anyone who says they have it figured out, run from them. Because we're all just trying to do the best we can, bumping our heads into shit, not sure exactly how to do it. Look what everyone told us about relationships. Get married when you're 20, have kids by 22, have 12 of them, you know, like all these different things. And 
you know, it's like, we know that from a relational perspective, the old structure of relationship does not function well today. You know, nor should it. it, Exactly. Society has changed. We're no longer working the farm in the middle of nowhere with no way to communicate with each other. And we need like a team of employees and we'll call them family. Right. Things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the idea that, you know, we would be, um, you know, as you said, working on a farm, unfortunately, but even this idea of, you know, I was thinking of like some of those whispers, like I have a friend who is culturally has to live at home till she is married, but she wants to move away from home. Mm-hmm. So there's a big betrayal that has to happen against your culture and your family in order to follow the whisper of what you need for your own space. But there's also this other human side of things about boundaries of what you need to thrive as a human being and your family will be okay, you know, but but to someone in that state, that's actually a huge act of courage. A hundred percent. And I think that's how revolutions start. That's how society changes. Yeah. That's the reason that we move towards equality. That's the reason we move towards freedom is a lot of individuals suddenly have these realizations that I think there's a better way to do this. And I think I need to honor my own version of my best life. Or I want to I think we can be more free. I think we can be more transparent. And they take a really courageous action in the face of radical negativity and judgment. And when enough people do that, we look back and be like, oh, of course, of course, that's the way it was going to go. But it always yeah. starts with a couple powerful people who are the ones that lead the charge, that, that kneel at the national anthem, that don't sit down on the bus, that do all of the things. Not only because they believe that, but like in spite of everything that they are being thrown, everything that society, culture, and social norms are throwing in their face. It's like, and it's hard. You make no mistake. These are courageous things. They require a certain amount of fear. Isn't that so true? Like every act of rebellion is from that, of course. It was one first person speaking up and saying me too. Yeah. And the first person who ever spoke up and, you know, like all these and then and kneeling during the anthem and all these different things, which I think are which, you know, on a micro level, looking at this woman who moving away from her family or out of her house is going against generations, thousands of years of culture, thousands of years of repression, thousands of, you know, like all these things. That's why when you're so terrified to break up or get divorced because you're afraid of what your family or think, you're afraid of what your religion will think, you're afraid you are actually leading the charge to radical change. Yeah. And that's how powerful that decision is because then, you know, what's interesting in the research is that when one person gets divorced, it's usually contagious <laughs> because other people in unhappy relationships um, are like, Oh shit, they're okay. They're happy. They took, you know, the first bullet and they're still walking. And so they tend, other people tend to follow suit. That's and the, the research also suggests that happiness is contagious. It's a social yeah. happier people hang out with happier people. Yeah, just like smokers hang out with smokers. And- yeah. I was thinking too though that that me too that is now a movement, mm-hmm. right? This hashtag is everywhere. But like at some point, some person just decided to make that hashtag. Like it didn't exist. And suddenly this human was just said, Oh, I'll put up this hashtag and poof. It became a movement. It started a revolution. It has changed the world. 
And so for your friend, potentially the same thing could happen of, hey, I'm moving out of my family's home and I'm starting my own thing. Forget what thousands of years of culture says. Hashtag, you know? (laughs) Hashtag culture rubber. Hashtag hashtag, no no more for me or whatever. And like suddenly the world might shift and you'll have thousands or millions of people that resonate with that message. That's just how it happens. Well, I think like one of the things I love about your work is not just your spoken word poetry, because uh, for anyone who is, who's listening, if you don't know uh, Mr. Dr. Jeremy, Mr. Dr. Mr. Jeremy Dr. Goldberg, uh, he has, as he mentioned earlier, long distance love bombs on Instagram. He has YouTube channel. I mean, you've got all the, all the things, um, but not just your spoken word poetry, which I think just speaks to like very topical things, a lot about love, a lot about struggle, a lot about pain, um, but always leaving on such a touching note. But it's also like the walk that you're doing across, is it across Spain with people? Yeah, yeah. I started it. So earlier last year in May, I did the Camino, the Camino Frances, where I walked from France to the ocean. And it's this old pilgrimage route with significant religious um, history. And, uh, and while I was walking, I was like, I wonder if like people would pay to come do this with me. And so then <laughs> I, I, I Googled like walking retreat and it, and I couldn't find anything. And then I put something on my Instagram story and then promptly forgot about it. Uh, and I convinced myself that that's a ridiculous idea, that that's terrible, etc. And, um, and then at Motu actually, two women that attended your conference came up to me at um at the after party like when are you doing that thing we're in we want to do it so i made a sales page and i <laughs> i decided that it'll be 200 kilometers from like the north of portugal up into spain and then over to the ocean and it sold out in like two hours it, that's incredible as i'm taking eight people on a 200 kilometer walk uh in the coming summer which is fun i think that's so cool because you know as you said in your um in your speaking about it but also i think even on your sales page is like we can do hard things yeah you know and i i think that that is such a an initial point of transformation and that's why fitness can work as such a great way to inspire people because someone who's never moved their body in that way does and all of a sudden they're like holy shit i can actually do hard things but you walk 200 kilometers from portugal through spain you're learning that you actually are resilient you actually can do what the fuck you want Yes. Yes. Like, like if you want to radically change your life, be more uncomfortable more often. Be and start to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable, whether that's emotionally, spiritually, physically, et cetera, et cetera. Like do more hard things. And you can start at the very, very smallest level. You could do five push-ups if that's your maximum. You can go for a walk for six minutes around the block if that feels hard and uncomfortable but you slowly scale that more and more and more and you're continually living on your edge right and that's where the growth lives that's where the magic resides that's where the life is manifested it's just that's to me where it all happens and Mm -hmm. i find that if i'm staying too comfortable for too long i get really grumpy and i feel stagnant and i I get, I don't know what it is. I get anxious and I, I've been teaching myself, oh, it's, you're just kind of bored with this comfortable surrounding or this comfortable relationship or this comfortable life. So what, what 
feels exciting? Like what edge feels exciting to pursue or to chase? And then I try and create things that push me in that direction. Yeah, I think that's similar for me of like, uh, if something isn't scary, then I'm like, oh, I've already done that before then. You yeah. know, but like, it's like, yeah, it's like um, within relationship, within choice of work, um, my question to myself is always like, is this growing me? Is this expanding me? If it's scary, then I know I'm supposed to go towards it because I haven't mastered it. Yeah. And that's such a radical shift from the way that most people live, though, Mark. It's a fucking huge radical shift from the way I used to live. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. Like, oh, I can't do that. That's terrifying. Oh, well, then I definitely have to do it. Yeah, like I think of, you know, you said earlier, uh, you know, you would have never wanted to hang out with me in college, you know, just joking around. But, you know, I think of like, uh, and I often try to do this on my Instagram to humanize everything because I think it's so easy for people to not um, humanize people they read about or think about. It's like everything that you, you thought of about a guy with frosted tips, I was, you know, like... I had frosted tips. I danced on speakers. I tried to have one night stands all the time. I drank a lot. I partied probably three to five times a week at some point in college. Like that, I, if there were frats, I would have been in one, I bet. You were just... Uh, I made a chai or whatever, you know, whatever they're called. Cliche. I think <laughs> I, I grew up in Canada, so we didn't have frats, in, at least at the school I went to. Uh, thank God, because the last thing I needed was to also be a frat guy. No offense if you're a frat guy. No, that's that's no offense intended, right? We're we're trying to do the best we can. <laughs> yeah. What shifted for you then to to sort of turn that corner, so to speak, of like recognizing that fear is something to pursue instead of something to avoid? Well, I think it was also realizing that I was making those choices because I was terrified of I was really hurting, and I it was the only way I knew how to escape my pain and be celebrated as a male, which is really mm. counterintuitive. But the change for me was that I got so far down a path of living the normal life that I basically had like a breakdown, you know, where my engagement ended and I had been making all my decisions out of fear of upsetting people, of not living the life I was supposed to. And then it was in that great betrayal that I finally chose myself. And that that was actually scary. You know, like I was afraid of disappointing people, but going and creating a life that I had no idea what it was going to look like. And then my other great one was leaving pharma. Mm. That was like leaving the ultimate system of support. That was the womb, man. Yeah, it was. And it was pharma. I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. You know, um, you know, and now my beliefs about that have radically changed. I mean, for you, what was it? Because, you know, moving away was one of them. Oh, I've had a bunch, man. So the, the most recent big one was deciding to leave science and government work in a place that I loved, doing work that I loved for a team of people that I loved with a supervisor that I adored. It, it was like a great life. And on paper, there was nothing wrong with it. But internally, it was, that's not the path for me. Like I knew that I would be I knew that I am, I'm a competent scientist. I've published papers in quality journals. I've done research projects. I've obtained money for grants. I've, I'm good. Like I'm good at science, but I'm not incredible at science. And I don't love it as much as I should to do that for the rest of my life. Mm. And so then I sort of had my head turned by 
by this other idea of writing and speaking and coaching. And I love that. And that gets me really excited to get out of bed in the morning. And I think it goes back to sort of what you touched on just a moment ago of we get to choose how we suffer, right? And I think one thing that I've been sort of using as a guiding philosophy, so to speak, is this idea to choose better suffering. And what I mean by that is I can suffer by uh, working in a government cubicle and feeling constrained and feeling anxious and feeling like I don't love my job, or I can suffer by facing the uncertainty and the unknown fear that comes with launching a business, becoming a writer, working online, starting a coaching practice, trying to find clients. So in some way, there's suffering inherent in practically any decision. And I've been focused really hard on trying to choose the suffering that most excites me and most fulfills me and makes me feel most alive. Oh, I love that idea of yeah. like, you're going to hate everything sucks some of the time. Yeah. You know? How do you want life to suck? Do you want life to suck by quitting your job and chasing your, your heart and starting a create the love business and maybe failing publicly and feeling shame for that? Or do you want life to suck by staying in a job that doesn't fulfill you and always wondering what could have been? Because in some way that sucks also, right? So choose the best suck, I guess would be the succinct way to phrase that. And I find that to be a really powerful way to live your life. So it's like you could choose to suffer by not asking the person out that you see at the gym every other day, right? Like suffer of like, oh, I'm not asking them out. I'm not asking them out. I, I love them. Oh, I want to be with them. Or you could choose to suffer and ask them out and have them say no, right? It's yeah. Like, there's different forms. You get yeah, to I totally hear you. Because I think of like when I ended my engagement, I, I knew that I would suffer from, or I assumed, and it was true, that I would suffer from the opinions and thoughts of other people. Right. I would suffer from the letting down of the system and not doing what I was told anymore. And that felt like a weird going against everything I was taught. Um, and I also would suffer potentially thinking I might not find someone. And this person was actually a great human. I just couldn't do it. And so, but what was interesting, and I didn't learn it till really that moment, was that my suffering, none of that suffering mattered because I was finally back home to myself. Like all of that hurt on a biological, I'm not part of the tribe anymore feelings, but I will never forget what it felt like to be at home within my body again and to like feel free. Oh, that was like, and so when you think about when you're talking about that, choose your suffering, I think a lot of our perceived suffering is um, outwardly, right? Like from rejection or abandonment or not feeling enough. But if you're choosing yourself in that choosing of your suffering, I don't think it will ever, you'll start to see that as a sign that you're making good choices. Yes. Even if, I, I love that so much. Even, even if you're in that moment really hating your life and you're really terrified and you're really heartbroken and you're really feeling like you're just drowning in suck. It's like, well, yeah, that still can be the right decision. And I think we're all just one giant choice. And I, and I've never thought of this being similar to Carolyn Mace's betrayal, but I think we're always just one giant choice away from rejoining ourselves. And it's mm -hmm. usually the hardest choice we'll ever have to make. And it's 
usually the one that requires you going against everything you were taught. And, but yet your heart is like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. Now that we can move and now that we can go on the internet, now that we can find other people who've done courageous things too, we could find support for those decisions. A hundred percent. And I was just thinking, wouldn't it be exciting if people listening to this podcast, everybody has that one thing inside where you're like, totally. oh gosh, he's talking to me right now. I really <laughs> need to do the thing. Who's this long distance love bomb yeah. guy? Uh, but like, imagine... I just imagine you getting like lots of messages after this podcast airs of people sharing their bravery and courage and um, how they're choosing themselves as a consequence of listening to this. That would be so much fun. And then, and you know, it's like, I think often we're waiting for someone to confirm what we already know. And uh, you know, this idea is like, we asked God for a sign, but then he gives us or she gives us or whatever, gives us a sign, but we don't like it. So <laughs> we don't, we pretend we didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. I think that happens so much where we're like, oh, never mind. I, never mind, God. I'll wait till you give me the answer I want. Yeah. Or, or we seek out the advice from people who we know will tell us what we want. Yeah. Don't we'll tell. Go and you know. great grandma if we should go travel to Jordan for the summer. And she's like, no, that's terrifying. <laughs> never go there. Versus asking like our 20-year-old cousin who lives in a, in a van down, down by. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yes. Yeah, dude. man. Go to Jordan. Fuck it. When I think if people are, uh, you know, asking for permission, allow this to be whatever sort of permission you need. Um, and, and trust I think it can work out regardless. You know, there's no such thing as failure. It's all just data collection. And, and you're just taking evidence in for the greater good for the, your own future. And that you'll be okay. What a freaking beautiful way to end. All right. So where can the people find you, my brother? Thanks for coming on today um of course happy to hang out with you anytime uh people can find me on the internet at longdistancelovebombs.com or you can find me at instagram at longdistancelovebombs those are the two primary ways that i communicate and i've got online courses and i coach clients and i give talks and workshops and i write and rant and rave all the time on instagram so um yeah i'll see you there jeremy is in there what's that no, please shower me with more praise. And yeah, time. I was like, he inspires. Your stories are hilarious and fun and relatable. And your poetry is absolutely moving. It's amazing. I'm not just saying that because you did a spoken word for my birthday. Although that, uh, I mean, I am also saying that because you did a spoken <laughs> word for my birthday. Um, and everyone go check him out. Like he's such an inspiration to follow. And you have so many wonderful thoughts and so many wonderful things and I've always been so grateful for your courage and desire to step into those hard conversations. And today, I think we covered so many different subjects, but everybody who's listening will get the message they need, which we can only trust will be true. Um, So I'm just really grateful for you, man. Man, right back at you. Uh, You know, I love and adore you. And I just think the world of you. And I'm so stoked you're in my in my pocket. Anytime I can text you and call you. You're, you're such a, um, you're such an inspiring human, Mark. And everybody that follows you knows that, but I just feel like throwing it right back at at you. So thank you for being brave all those years ago for breaking up that engagement, quitting that stupid pharma job, (laughs) stupid pharma, deciding to put love in your logo and doing all the things, man. You're changing lives for sure. It all works out in the end. And if it doesn't, it's not the end. I always love that quote. 
That's it, man. I love all of you guys. Have such a wonderful week. And thanks again, Jared.